This is Patty Holstrand, and this is KWAD Radio, and we're live today with Mike Lynch. He's published his first nonfiction book back, uh, named Dublin, back in nineteen in two thousand seven. His first novel, When the Sky Fell, he co-authored with Brandon Barr. It was published two years later, followed by two other books they've written together: America Midnight, and the one we're talking about today which is After the Cross. His latest novel, uh, novel, The Crystal Portal, co-authored by Travis Perry, was released in 2011, that's this year, along with a host of short stories published in various magazines. Mike graduated from San Jose State with a degree in history and from San Jose Bible College with a degree in Bible and Theology. He lives in San Francisco Bay Area with his wife and two kids, and we welcome him today. Mike, are you there? I am here, and thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> Hopefully, we, you saw, you've probably heard that I just introduced you, um, gave the bio, and you got some quite a few books behind you. That's awesome. Well, yeah, each one has been a labor of love for me, and it's just been nice that I've been able to find publishers who were willing to publish the book. That's that's <laughs> always the best part of the whole process. Yes, and, and we will definitely talk about that today. Okay? <clears throat> uh, the process that you went through, and I noticed that you're, you co-author with quite a few people, so we're going to talk about um, uh, about that as well, because um, not very many authors can actually work well with others in, in this kind of process. And um, I mean, you start there by saying that your your book that we're talking about mainly today, but we're going to talk about you know a lot of them, and since you have so many of them to talk about, we can do that. Um, After the cross, tell us about that one. Well, that one actually was born a few years ago. Um, like you said in my bio, I'm a I have a history background, and I love history. It's my passion, really. And uh, so I saw a documentary about um, uh, Helena, which was the mother of Constantine, the first Christian Roman emperor. And she in the three hundred she made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and and wanted to see the places where Jesus lived and died and did ministry and so a lot of the churches that are there today are places where she said these things happen. And one of the things that she allegedly found at that time was the cross of Jesus or what she believed was the cross of Jesus. And so it was a venerated object in the Catholic Church for about a thousand years until it you know, disappeared, it vanished. And so when I saw the documentary, I just thought, wow, what would it be like if today archaeologists found what they thought was the cross of Jesus and what kind of a reaction would that have? And, and you know, that would be just, you know, an, an amazing story if it were if it ever happened. Right. And so a story was born out of that, watching that documentary. Yes, uh, the, a little bit of the synopsis. That's a newly excavated medieval uh, library in Istanbul, Turkey, a discovery is made that is poised to rock Christendom to its very foundation. A 800-year-old letter which reports to reveal the final resting place of Jesus' cross. So we're talking about um, having this happen in like 20, you know, after the year 2000. 
Yeah, it, contemporary times. It would be like okay. if it happened today, kind of. That's where the setting for the story is. Okay, okay. So um, would you say it's – obviously you've got conspiracy. Uh, some conspiracy issues there, which may – so some people might sound a little bit like um, a little bit of Dan Brown. Yeah, there is, and actually, when I was uh, <clears throat> after I'd written the story, um, you know, what what you do is you write up what's called a manuscript proposal, and it talks about the different elements of the story that you submit to publishers. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that publishers want to know is, well, what is the book like? You know, what what can I compare it to so I get an idea in my mind of what we would be promoting to readers? And I said, well, it's a, it's a cross between Indiana Jones and the Da Vinci Code. That's basically yeah, kind of a cross between the two stories. And when you say that, it's like, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. I get it, kind of a thing. And so, right. yeah, there is a there is a Dan Brown esque element in that. You know, they find this letter, and in the letter that was written 800 years ago, this person says that that the cross of Jesus has been hidden and it still exists, and you have to try and find it. But of course, in the letter, you're not quite sure exactly where it is because that wouldn't be much of a story if you knew exactly where you're supposed to go. And so there's a lot of clues they have to uncover. Well, there's another character in the story. He's a very wealthy Ukrainian businessman who's kind of uh, very politically uh, connected. And there's an election taking place in the Ukraine, and his guy that he's sort of propping up is is very corrupt. And so he's going to financially benefit if this guy wins. Well, his opponent is sort of a man of the people, a man of faith. And his fear is that if this cross were to be found, it would have an adverse effect on the election that this other person would be elected because of this groundswell of religious fervor. And so he wants the, the last thing that he wants is the cross to be found, and so he does everything within his power to keep that from happening, and then that's where the sort of the conspiratorial elements uh, work into the story. Awesome. That's awesome. And uh, I think you're right. Uh, you know, I've had some... People who you know, you go you go to these classes on how to find an agent and how to find a publisher, and there's a lot of mixed information about uh, you know, how to get their attention, how to submit uh, queries to them, how you know to let them know about your story. And I, I agree with you. Tell them what it's like. You know, compare it to something else. They just might <clears throat> get it. You don't have to spend so much time uh, explaining it. <laughs> Well, you know, a lot of people think, "Wow, I can never write a novel. That's too hard. It's too long. It'll, t-, you know, it's a it's a very involved process, and it is. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. It takes months and months and months of your life to to hone this story down to something that somebody else would want to read. But mm-hmm. in reality, that's the easy part. The hard part is trying to sell it to a publisher that gets thousands and thousands of other stories submitted to them, and their authors and their agents are equally as enthusiastic about that story as I am with mine. And so, like you said, you tr- you have to try to stand out in some way uh, to make yours more desirable than others because a publisher can only publish so many stories, and most of them get rejected. And so one thing is good writing. I mean, that's kind of the obvious answer is you have to have really, really good writing that that immediately sort of jumps off the page from really sentence one. Before it was page one, now it's sentence one. That just has to be a grabber and like, wow, I want to read more of this and more and more and more. And the second thing is you have to have a story that, to the best of your ability, hasn't been told before. Now, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of novels published you know, over the years, and there really is no such thing as a unique story. It just doesn't exist because it's been done a million times. 
But you want to put a spin on a story that's different, that's kind of like, wow, I've never heard that before. That's kind of interesting. And so, again, uh, more intrigue for for the writer, or I mean for the publisher, Um, (laughs) something that sort of stands out. Because, you know, I've been to writers' conferences, and one of the things they say again and again is, tell me a story I haven't heard before. Something that's that's different, and because they're just sort of bored hearing the same stuff over and over, all you know, the retreads. You know, they're 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 tired exactly. of that. But it's hard coming up with something different and unique, and that's where the creativity comes in and says, "I want to tell something that's you know kind of different." Exactly, and even though you know, every story's been told, um, you have people who say, "Well, you know, I'm afraid that they're going to steal my story," and it's like, "Well, how are they going to do that?" Because <laughs> There's no way that they can do that because your words are your words. Yeah, uh, you know, your your twist on that particular story is going to be different than anybody else. Well, I had those fears in the beginning too. I think most writers do that. If I send this to a publisher, they're going to steal it as though it's such a great story that it's worth stealing. The the thing is, well, two things. First one is, if you write something, it's automatically copywritten. That's that's right. the way the laws are written. You don't have to go out and copyright You can if you want, but it's being redundant. It's automatically copywritten, so it's already protected. And the second thing is that for agents and for publishers, their reputation is based on honesty and integrity. That's, okay. that's why people send things to them, because they are people to be trusted. If, if there was somebody who had a reputation for stealing stories, you they're not in business though. anymore. Nobody's going to send anything to them. No. And it's, so I mean, it's it gets, our, it gets around. It does get around. Oh, uh, it, it's like wildfire. If you if it only takes as one example of somebody stealing a story, and that person is out of business. Oh, and yeah. and the other thing too is that in in a given year there are approximately two hundred thousand books published, fiction and nonfiction. Out of those two hundred thousand, there are only a handful that are very very successful, where they sell hundreds of thousands or millions of copies of a book. Ninety nine percent of them you know, don't do very well sales-wise. That's just the unfortunate reality for publishing. So is a publisher going to risk their reputation, their business, on 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 um, a story that they steal and it, and it does financially terribly and they, they've lost everything because of that? It's just it's just such a high risk. They're just not going to do it. Right, right. They have no idea as much as almost anybody else nowadays whether or not that story is really going to work. Is it right. going to hit? It's a gamble. It's a complete gamble. Nobody knows yeah. what's successful. Nobody. I mean, they have ideas of what could be, but in the end, it's 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 a roll of the dice every time. Yeah, yeah. And I and I hear this story from uh, a lot of publishers and and agents out there um, that they would have thought something was a slam dunk and it wound up not being at all. Uh, and they're just like the rest of us you know, in marketing who are who are throwing up our hands and saying, okay, we're not sure anymore what works and what doesn't work <laughs> or you hear of writers who you know have a story it's rejected a hundred times in some cases literally a hundred times and they say yeah. this will never sell there's no audience there, you know there, there's no market for this and then somebody finally takes a chance usually a small publisher and it's a runaway hit so yeah. you know nobody knows nobody exactly nobody knows uh and then unfortunately right after one hits and everybody uh, copycats um, out there, oh yeah, I can write that story better than that. And so, you know, before you know it, you got all sorts of um, all sorts of stories on the same premise. Right. And that's where yeah. all the retreads start coming in. That's where exactly. that's where the agents and the editors get like, oh, not this story again. Not another vampire movie. Ugh, no more vampires. <laughs> you know, they're everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. They keep putting those vampires out. 
<laughs> I don't get it. I, I'm not a vampire person. I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't understand the, the, the lure of it. But obviously, there's an audience for it, and so they keep putting that, put it out. So, right. you know, who knows? Right. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I, I do like the idea of your story, which is what intrigued me. And I said, yeah, I've got to get you on here. Because first, you have your conspiracy part, and you have your history. Um, history, and I tell people just. I have a lot of people say, well, you know, you don't really need to uh, research anything if you're a fiction author. I said, I, I beg to differ. I says, you know, uh, I too write historical stuff, and, and actually I do alternative fiction. Um, alternative history is you have to know what your history is before you mess it up. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely true. So you do a lot of research and and you say, okay, this is interesting, and you know, you pull the little tidbits out. And I think that you probably did the same thing, where you think, hey, there's an interesting thought, and you pulled out that piece in order to fit it into a puzzle. Well, there's a, um, a some of the story. <clears throat> takes place in Jerusalem, um, where the main characters go to sort of further the story along to try to figure out the next step and the clues of trying to find the cross. And so I've never been to Jerusalem. And so, you know, and obviously that's a very well-known city for a lot of people. And so when I write about that city, obviously I did a lot of research about the layout of the city and the sites and the, the places and the things that you would find there if you ever, if I ever went to go visit it. Um, and a friend of mine who read the book, after he read it, he asked me, he says, now, when did you go to Jerusalem? When were you there? And I said, I've never been there. And he goes, wow, I, you wrote it like you'd been there. And that was what I was obviously trying to, to, to do in the story for all the for all the places that they visit, which are real places in the story, you know, real geographic places, historical places. And I wanted to give a sense that I had been there and I knew that I was sort of recalling from memory what the place looked like or smelled like or sounded like if you were if you were there. So I was trying to go for that realism. And so when you do that, you have to do your research. You have to go in and, and know the place as well as if you'd ever gone. And so I, I, not just myself, but Brandon, the co-author, you know, he was just as committed to, to doing that kind of work to make the story really real and, and have a sense of, of actually being there. So, yes, definitely do your research. So we're talking about Brandon for a second. Um, obviously, the, is the idea of the story yours and then you pulled in Brandon for this, or how did that work? Well, we've we've written three books together, and we're working on a fourth right now. And so, obviously, we have a good working relationship. And the way that we we typically start a book is, you know, one one of us will come up with an idea like, oh, I was thinking of writing this for a story, and it's just sort of like the big idea. What if, you know, dot dot dot. <laughs> and then if the other person like, oh, that sounds kind of good, and then we start talking about the characters and who they are, and some of the plot points, and what the story's about, and what genre we're going to be working in, and, you know, we sort of flesh all that stuff out. And then then once we have an idea of the, the characters and the plot and all the, all the little details you need to incorporate into the story, and then the way that we typically work it is I'll, I would write, for example, say the first two chapters of, of the story, and then I send it to him, he, edit it, he edits it and does his little little stuff with it, and then he sends it back to me, and then I kind of critique his critiques. And then we're kind of generally happy with it. Then he writes the next two chapters, and then he sends them to me, and we just sort of go back and forth until the story's done. And then once we're finished, then we start the process all over again, except this is the heavy editing. That we're really digging deep into the story and making little corrections and changes and things that invariably need to be worked on as, you, as the story evolves. 
And so this probably takes about six, seven months altogether. And then once it's finally ready, then we give it to our agent, and then she sends it to the publishers and kind of go from there. But that's kind of how we do the process together. So it's a lot of give and take as we work on the chapters. Awesome. That's a great process. Um, and I noticed that, you, of course, you have you have several guys that you work with on several projects. Um, you got Brandon, of course, uh, on most of them, but you've worked with Travis Perry. Right. How did, how did that come about? <clears throat> well, that one was a little bit different for me in that I didn't actually write the story. He he had written it already, and then I'm uh, I'm with an online writers group, and so we're always talking with each other and just sharing what we're doing. And in this particular case, he said, "I've worked on a story. It's pretty good. It's it needs some work. I I can't bring it any further. I know it, it needs to go further, but I just can't manage to do it on my own. Is anybody interested in helping me edit it?" And so. I said, well, let me see what the story's like, and if I like it. He, it's a fantasy story. I don't normally deal in fantasy, um, but it was a good story, and I, I liked it. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll work on it with you. So I, I went through the whole thing and edited it for him. And uh, it was it was painful at first for him because, he, you know, it's his, it's his baby, and I'm just hacking it to bits. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's like cutting off fingers and toes. And, uh, yeah. Eventually, he saw what I was trying to do for the story and recognized, okay, I see the value in this now. It was it was hard, but uh, and so it became more of a collaborative process as we went along, and uh, and then eventually, you know, obviously we got it published. So that one was a little bit different. I wasn't actually involved in the creative process, more of the 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 end of it of, of polishing and and making it more of a, a publishable story. And obviously, it worked because we got it published. And that was a crystal portal. <clears throat> yeah, that's the Crystal Portal. And you say it's a fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell us a, you know, maybe a little short synopsis on that one? <clears throat> well, in, in the world that Travis has created, um, there are these portals that put that you know, like interdimensional gateways. They put you in a different uh, parallel universe. And the, so there are these main characters. There's a part. Of, one of the characters is a robot from the future. There's an elf that would be sort of stepped out of a Tolkien story. And then there's a, a a carpenter who lived in first century Israel, and they all have stepped through their specific portals and land on Earth in our time. And then there, there's a bad guy who's who's created havoc in these parallel universes, and they chase him into this crystal kingdom. That's why you have it's called the Crystal Portal. It goes into this crystal kingdom, and he's trying to take over this this world, and they they're trying to stop him. So they're kind of like a motley crew of very different people from different places working together to stop this bad guy. Awesome. Uh, that's I, I just that that's the story that uh, that would definitely intrigue me. So that's why I was like, okay, that's, now you just got my attention. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a very different story. It's kind of like, and that's why I like. I thought, you know what? I've not seen this before, so yeah, I want to work with the story because it's so different and and it was very intriguing. And he, and he's a good writer. I mean, he, he did a really good job with the story. It just needed a little bit of little cut and paste and polish and and it really mm-hmm. really came out well. And the nice thing about it for him is that it's easy to do sequels because you know you just have the the main characters exactly. just go through another portal into another world and you can got this whole new adventure to to create and so it's it's kind of limitless of where you can take it whereas other stories you you know you do like two or three books and you're kind of done and there's nowhere really to go anymore and so you you have to think of something else to write about. Yeah, unless of course you get a whole a whole new uh Generation, um, you know, the, the family 
has expanded and you suddenly take it, you know, a different direction with the, one of the family members. That's <laughs> yeah, she can do that too. Do. They have sort of a little side adventure or something. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's very interesting idea, and I'll definitely be looking into that one because I'm into interdimensional portals and things like that. So uh, you've got some different ideas. You got history, um, but before I do that, I'm going to I'm going to let everybody know that uh, we are in live, so you can call in. Uh, we're also on chat, so if you go down below the information about the uh, uh, if you're listening to us. Is down below that uh, panel, you'll see the chat, and you can write in your questions or comments for Mike, um, and I will give it to him and ask him when there's a moment free. And if you want to call in, we are more than happy to have you call in, 714-242-5145. Yes, ask your questions. I enjoy questions. Mike has a website. Uh, and he's got all his books on there, and I've, of course, been popping in and out and look, taking a look at those as I'm talking to you. Um, tell us about your website. Uh, it's, easy to, it's, it's easy to find. It's just MikeLynchBooks.com. That's, you know, I thought putting my name into it would make it a little easier to remember. Also, when his last name is spelled L-Y-N-C-H, so that's right. Mike, L-Y-N-C-H, books, plural, dot com. He's also on Facebook, so you know, obviously you, if you wanted to find him as a friend, you go in the friends area and type out his name. Now you know how to spell it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes and, people spell it L-I-N-C-H, and I don't know of anybody that has it spelled that way. <laughs> yeah, it's like first names, you know. Uh, I, I I don't know how in the world they could spell Mike any differently, but they do. So... <laughs> uh, they they try to come up with unique ways to create themselves. That is true. Well, I work at a at a high school and I do office work in a high school and, and I come across names spelt in very unusual ways. I see it all the time. It's like, wow, I'd never thought to spell it that way, but there it is. Exactly. <laughs> so that's that's that happens when they try to be different. They're trying to be different. Um, okay, so let's talk about your you you got different types of books. Because I'm looking at your covers, and you've got to me like what could be space opera. Yes, that's the first novel that I wrote was <clears throat> When the Sky Fell, and it is definitely space opera. Okay, and you can kind of tell that from the cover. Um, besides the fact that I've got uh, one of my authors is also a space opera writer, so it's it definitely like okay, this is recognizable to me. And you wrote that one with Brandon as well. Tell us yeah. about that one. <clears throat> well, that one was kind of a reverse of what happened with um, with uh, Travis in that I had written the novel myself, and it, because it was my first my first novel, that was the hard hardest one to sell. That one took a couple of years of going to writers' conferences and uh, sending it out to publishers, sending it out to agents, and got nowhere. And I worked on the story again and again. I spent years writing that story. And the premise is very simple. It's, you know, it started off as the big what if. You know, and, and in the beginning it was, well, it's set in the future. So what if a thousand alien ships are coming to Earth to destroy us? How could we stop them? That was sort of the premise of the story. And then every, then you know, then it was creating the characters and how they got into that spot. And do we win? Do we lose? You know, what happens and all that. And and 
so that was my foray into science fiction. Because when I grew up, I, I grew up with science fiction. I also enjoy mm-hmm. science fiction very much. And and so I wrote this novel thinking, oh, I can I can write an, a sci-fi novel. And tried and tried and tried and got nowhere. I mean, I just I got a little nibble here and there, but nothing that really panned out. And I was really close to giving up, thinking, well, I gave it a shot. I just don't have what it takes. I don't. I'm just not a strong enough of a writer, and and was really close to quitting. <clears throat> well, in the meantime, uh, that's how I met Brandon. Um, I live in Northern California. He lives in Southern California, and he had a, a, a sci-fi website. And I sort of found him on the internet. He had a, actually it's a blog that he did about science fiction writing. And uh, so I asked him if there were any, you know, publishers, sci-fi publishers that I maybe had missed or overlooked that he knew about that I could send my story to. And at the time, he was only writing short stories. He wanted to move up to novels eventually, but thought he'd kind of work his way up to that and didn't know any. And, and then it's like, okay, well, thanks anyway. And I thought that was the end of it. And then he emailed me back and said, well, hey, since you're a writer, I've got some stories I've been working on. Would you mind looking at them and just kind of let, tell me what you think? So he sent me some stories. I thought he was a pretty good writer, and he had interesting ideas and kind of critiqued the stuff, sent it back. And then I thought, well, hey, you know what? I'm having a hard time selling my novel. Maybe you can take a look at a couple of chapters. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Obviously, something's not right. And then he critiqued it, and that just sort of we started kind of swapping stories and ideas. And finally, I just thought, you know what? Why don't we just work together and kind of, you know, we have similar goals as writers, so let's just start making it happen. And so he edited my novel. And then after he edited it, we sent it again, and that's why we found a publisher for it. So I thought, okay, this works. And then we've been writing together ever since. Now, who did you sell that one with? Uh, the first novel we sold to uh, Silverleaf Books. Uh, they're a small publisher, and they, they specialize oh. in sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. That's Those are their specific genres that they work with. And, yeah, so, and, they, and they work primarily with new writers that are just getting started. Yes, I, I have, I've, I've heard of them, so that's good. That's cool. And, of course, everyone, just to let you know, uh, I think that you can pretty much find his books anywhere. Uh, you've got Amazon Kindle, Nook, iPad. So he's in all of the you know, EPUB as yeah. well as his Kindle. And, obviously, uh, uh, even in color, Nook is now taking EPUB. That's uh, something I'm familiar with. So um, that's really interesting. And, and, by the way, just to you, – you live in California, and I'm in Arizona. Yes, I'm in the Bay Area. And so uh, we need to talk because um, I'm also in charge of the Leprechaun, which is a sci-fi fantasy convention in Arizona. Okay. I'm doing the programming next year. So <laughs> your books are right up, at the, are right up our alley. Well, I, I one of the things that I enjoy doing is I do go to conventions and uh, I, I like going to venues where obviously there's an interest in the stories and and I mean yeah part of my goal for going is to sell books of course but okay. the thing that I really enjoy more than that oddly enough is talking to people who are enthusiastic about the genre or who want to be writers I really enjoy talking to hopeful writers who are just getting started or I think I want to be a writer now what do I do you know kind of right. thing. You know, how do I get my story published? How do I get out there? How, what's the process? Because when I started, I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing about publishing. I didn't have a friend or, or anybody that I can go to. It's like, well, what did you do? I had no one to go to, and so I had to learn it all on my own. Yeah, And, and the, the Internet is the writer's best friend. The, there are so many resources out there on the Internet to help writers get started, agents who have blogs about the do's and don'ts of publishing. I mean, there's just a gajillion 
resources available that just didn't exist when I started. Because I mean, when I when I typed my first novel, I typed it on a typewriter, a manual typewriter. That's how <laughs> I, and I still have it. I, I kept it for posterity. But uh, you know, that's how you did it back then. You just put in a piece of paper and you started typing. And and rewrites were just a horrible, horrible thing with the computer. Now it's just so easy. It's just it's just you know you right. can't even imagine what it was like before. You so, can have different versions, and and you know, uh, I know that with mine, I pull out, I pulled out certain things as a, you know, this is not quite working. I, I'm not sure if I believe in reincarnation, that kind of thing. So, I pulled out entire chunks, but you know, you don't get rid of it. <laughs> you just put it off into a, a, what we call a, a discard file, um, and you never know what you can do with it later. Right, you might decide, oh, I want to bring this back, or part of it, or, or concepts, or whatever. You can or do sure, you can sure. stuff around. Yeah, yeah. or I, I'm going to move this whole chapter to, you know, instead of Chapter 4, it's Chapter 18 now, or whatever. You know, it's just great. Yeah, especially with your first book. I'm not sure when you talk about your first book. Your process, when you're trying to discover not only your voice, but also discover, you know, the, the story itself, especially if it's going to be, a long, you know, a series. Mm-hmm. Um, having to pull out, like you say, entire chapters and perhaps moving them. Uh, had, did you have any of that kind of experience where you were trying to find the right sound and trying to find the right story? Well, the the first one that I wrote, you know, I had an idea of, you know, it was going to be a sci-fi. It, it was going to be a lot of battles and space sequences and mm-hmm. – um, which in my mind at the time was like that's that'd be really cool if I did it that way. Well, years and years and years go by, and, and I would reword the story and rework it and rework it, and then I realized, wow, I'm kind of missing kind of the human element, the connection between people, and relationships. And and if if you go through a, a, a like I've never been in the military, so I, I've heard stories from soldiers when they go through battle, you know, they're changed people. That it has a very profound effect on them. Um, of of being in battle with your comrades and you're fighting an enemy that's trying to kill you or vice versa. And you're never quite the same after that. And so I, I needed to incorporate, for example, those elements into the story of, yeah, we're, we're quote-unquote on the right side of whatever the battle is, but it still takes a toll on you that that has a profound, you know, it like touches your soul in a very deep way and sometimes a very dark way. And those elements needed to be incorporated in the story. And so as you kind of grow up as a person, you realize that these whole other things that need to be in there rather than just sort of fighting for fighting's sake that I had in the story originally. You and so you, you make it more three-dimensional and the characters are real and they, they feel what's going on. And so those 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 things get added as you realize there's things that are missing in the story. Yeah, that, and... Again, that is part of it. Uh, but what about finding your voice? Did you have a problem with that? You know, I, 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 like I said, I've been to conferences, I've been to conventions, I've been to writers' seminars and things, and they talk about finding your voice. And I'm still not quite sure what that means. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure what people mean by that because it's, it's sort of a sort of an enigmatic term of, for me, it's more of, you know, this is a story I want to tell. And this is the character I'm going to choose to tell the story with and what they go through and what they experience. And then at the end, hopefully it's a positive conclusion to whatever they faced. And and just make the story um, uh, that it has integrity, that it's it's honest about itself, whatever the story is. What it, you know, If it's going to be a romance, then, then have it be a, a romance. If it's a sci-fi, make it sci-fi. If it's 
if it's a western then make it true to a western whatever whatever story you're trying to tell make it true to the story and i guess that's a way of finding your voice but it's like whatever the story is that's the story i have to tell and that's how i approach writing well voice is more of the unique way in which you write it and we were saying well you could give a synopsis to six different writers and they would all go off into not only uh, the different completely different ending but their style the, the way they uh, present the characters, the way they write, is going to be different every time. Well, one of the things that I found is that as I've approached each story, because the genres have been different, the first one I did was a sci-fi, the second one I did was um, sort of a political thriller, this third one is more of a historical fiction, the genres are all very different, and so the voice right. is different because the expectations of the story are different. Um, and so I've... I, I'm not so concerned about finding a quote-unquote voice for me because mm-hmm. I, I like different kinds of stories, and so the voice has to change. And not only that, because I'm working with a co-author, I can't use my pure voice because uh, that wouldn't be go. possible because it has to be blended. It has to blend my voice with Brandon's voice. Which is where I was trying to go with this. <laughs> okay, I, you, then you, I helped you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, uh, again, it's difficult to write with somebody sometimes because if you are – uh, if your voice is heavy and in and, and, and certain way, um, then it would be really difficult for both of you to see eye to eye on on whether or not those words that you your word choices, whether or not that works for the other person. Well, one of the things that happens is as we work on the chapters, we're in the middle of a story, <clears throat> we go back and forth a lot. I mean, sometimes. 20 times we're going back and forth with my edits and then he edits my edits and I edit his you know we go and so by the time we get to the end of the story it's so blended with both of our with both of our contributions that it's there's one story that's told it's not like each chapter is very jarring in its differences you know like one is like you said one's very heavy and deep and thoughtful and the other one's sort of light and fluffy and comedic you know it's not like that um, it's, it's, there's a single tone in the whole story because we've gone back and forth so many times because w- we both recognize that the story has to come first, no matter what, because the, the benefit of the story is not for us, it's for the reader. The reader is the beneficiary of what we write. And so everything, the story always has to come first. So there have been times when I've really felt strongly about uh, the way a character might react or a certain scene in the story, and Brandon would say, you know what? That detracts from the story, even though it's well written and it's a good moment in the story. It's just it's not appropriate for the story, and it can't can't stay. And vice versa, Brandon has had his moments where it's like, sorry, Brandon, this this just does not work, and we have to take this out. And it's hard to let it go because we really feel strongly about it. But in the end, it's like you're right; the story has to come first, not my personal feelings about a, something that I wrote. There you go. So you have to uh, give and take. And then there are other times when I'll put my foot down and say, no, this stays in the story. I'm not letting this go because I feel it benefits the story. Like, for example, there was when we did American Midnight, which was the political thriller, there's a scene in the story where they're escaping from this prison that was a really horrible place, and there's this family that gets out. And one of them, and and one of the guys is sort of like a soldier, and so he's going to sort of fight his way out. And he does to a point, well, they get to the end where they're almost at the car to make their getaway. 
and he's going to do the same thing. He's going to sort of overpower the guards and get out. And I said, well, now we're getting kind of boring because we're using sort of force to get out of every little situation they get in. And I said, that gets redundant and that gets kind of lazy. And I said, there's a there's a young lady there who's kind of pretty. I said, instead of having this guy sort of overpower the guards, why don't you have this the, the young lady walk out and just like, oh, I'm lost. And I don't know where I'm supposed to be and sort of play kind of like, you know, kind of throw the hair on her shoulders and look kind of nice. Well, Soldiers are not going to shoot a woman who's unarmed. That's that's just the psychology of people. You don't do that. If a guy comes at you with a gun, you're going to shoot him. But if a girl or a young lady comes out and asks, I need some help, men are going to generally help women. And so then she uses it to trick them because she distracts the guys, and then they get out, and then they get away. And I really fought for the, for her to do that, and he did not like that at all. She said, no, that's not real. That wouldn't happen. That's not possible. And I said, yeah, it is. It's very possible, and it would happen. And I really had to fight for that one. And he said, okay, fine. If you feel this strongly, we'll leave it in the story, even though he didn't like it. But it's really a great scene in the story where she where she uses kind of her, her abilities to, to trick the guys. Mm-hmm. And so there are times when you have to fight for what you believe in, and other times, like, you know what, because of the story comes first, I'm going to let this go. So it's each situation is different. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, women do do that. <laughs> So yeah, you have to do. You have to follow your instincts on those things. Right. And when is uh, it appropriate to do it? And you know, we didn't make it an exploitive thing. You know, I don't want to do that. But you know, sometimes it's it's appropriate to do things like that. Other times, like no, that would not be true to the story. And you do, you just don't put that in there. You do something else. You know, and right. it's case by case. Yeah, you have to decide which ones will work for you guys. Again, the phone number to call in, everyone, is 714-242-5145. I know it's a busy weekend out there with a lot of events, and, of course, it's a beautiful day out today. Um, I'm not sure if you guys got rain, but we got some rain, which is unusual for us. <laughs> oh, we're out here in California enjoying the wonderful weather. It's probably 82 degrees, sunny, light breeze. It's 87 here, and it's like, you know, that, that's unheard of for us, because uh, I'm right in the heart of Phoenix area, so... You know, it's been you know, in well above hundreds. Well, my and my wife spent when she was in college. She lived in Phoenix for a year, and she talked about just 110 degree summer days and 90 degree yeah. nights and just sweltering. And it's it's yeah. not for the faint of heart out there. No, and, and the thing is that even uh, in the middle of night, midnight, it'd be over 100. Yeah, yeah, and so it just doesn't. You just can't get out of it. Um, but yeah, we always look for, you know look forward to the fall when it's you know, around uh, October 31st. You're know, on Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's suddenly nice enough that uh, that is you know beautiful weather then. Of course, uh, all the way through the sun until the summer again. So I, I definitely love it here. Um, that great weather. Uh, so I'm gonna look through my questions here. What influences in your life that have encouraged you to stay the course in your writing? Oh, that's a good question. I've not been asked that one before. What you know, and it's it's. I find that it's for people. It's an inborn thing. You know, uh, you know. Are you a committed person that that needs to follow through on what you do? And I've been kind of like that my whole life. Um, that I, whatever I start, I have to finish. Um, I'm not. I don't like chaos. I don't like messiness. I'm not the kind of person that I'll start a project and then halfway through I'll start another and then another. I'm I'm not like that. I just go from beginning to end. I guess it's sort of the hunter-gatherer in me. That would probably explain why you can actually finish the books. 
<laughs> I don't like to waste time. I don't like to waste, you know, uh, something that I do. And then it's like, like for example, um, I'm in the middle of writing another novel, and this one is a very, it, this one's a departure for me. I've never written anything like this before. It, it's a long story, and I won't bore you with the details. But my my <laughs> my agent said, hey, there's an opportunity here at this publisher, and they wor- they want to work with this particular genre, and I said, oh, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a try. I feel as a writer, I should always stretch myself and do something a little bit different. And, and um, so I wrote a novel, and then I sent her the first few chapters, and she didn't like it at all. She said, this is not good. It's not It's not in keeping with the genre. You really need to read up on it. And, da, da, da. and so she was. She didn't come out and say it, but she kind of intimated, like, you know what, Just that's just not for you, and just sort of like, hey, you gave it a try and just move on. And it's like, you know what? I spent six months working on this book. I'm not trying to just put it aside and say, oh, well, I gave it my best shot. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to re-edit it and revise it and look more into the genre and, and you know, kind of learn more of how it's written and, and basically edit it again and, and give it another try. I'm not going to just give up. Right. And, you know, I, I, don't like, I don't like to waste my time like that. So, um, so I'm, going to, I'm in the middle of re-editing that one, and I'll send it to her again and see if she likes it better the second time around. Of course, I'm curious. Which which genre are we talking about? <clears throat> I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but it's romance. It's a romance. <laughs> yes, but the romance, yeah, from experience, is very open to a lot of different things. You can you can have uh, as long as your story when they say romance. Obviously, if you pull the romance out, then it's not a romance. Um, if the romance part of it is so important to the story that if you by pulling it out you ruin the entire story, then it needs to be a romance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question, question is, what type of romance? There's so many, so many subgenres in romance. Well, it's not a Harlequin. It's not like that. It's, it's okay. I wouldn't expect that from you. <laughs> well, it, for me, it's, it it always comes down to the characters. I mean, the characters are really what what really create a good story. You have good characters, you have a good story. And and going back to When the Sky Fell, which is a sci-fi novel, I sort of talked a little bit about the characterization and some of the things they experienced. And, you know, even though it's in a sci-fi setting, it's really about what the characters go through, that you, if you care about who they are and what they're experiencing, then there's tension because they're all, obviously they're in danger, and if they're in danger, you want them to make it okay. That's where the tension in the story is. If you don't care about the characters and things are going on around them, you're bored. And that's not a good story. And so I, I, I basically incorporate that into everything that I write is, you know, the characters have to be the core of everything, not just action or explosions or something or or other things going on around them. And so in this particular story, it takes place in a small town, and one of the characters works at a church, and the church is kind of slowly dying. The people are slowly leaving, and, he's, and this, this is something that he loves, and he doesn't know what to do, and he... It's a guy, and he befriends this woman who's a who's a real estate agent, and she knows everybody in the town. And he kind of they form a friendship, and then they start working together of trying to save the church in this small town that's been there for you know 200 years. It's sort of a staple of of, of their of their world, and and he's just trying to do everything he can. So it's as they get to know each other, obviously the the romance element blossoms as they're together working. First, they don't like each other very much, as often happens in romance stories, and then yeah, yeah. they learn to like each other and appreciate the other person, and it's all about the characters trying to work together to to save the church, basically. And so it's not a pure romance, but there's there's that romance component that's very strong in the story as they're engaged in this other activity in the story. Yeah, there you go. 
There you go. So, yeah, there, there's so many subgenres. Um, when I was doing uh, Time Conquers All, I, it's a time travel romance. But the science fiction is so heavy in it that I said, you know, I had talked to some other science fiction authors about it, and they read it. And uh, I said, well, you know, I know that romance is going to, I'm going to make more money at it. But, you know, I'm so heavy, such a heavy science fiction lover that I think that it should be a science fiction book. And I had uh, Todd McCaffrey, that's uh, Anne McCaffrey's son, who said, Patty, science fiction readers love sex too. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So, okay, in that case, I'll just leave it as time travel romance and, and, and live with it. Well, you can have a lot of different elements. So, so you know, if, if guys generally who like more of the harder sci-fi, more of the technical gadgets and, and you know, alternate universe kind of elements, then mm-hmm. they can enjoy that part. And the women who read it, you know, because it has the romance interaction between the main characters, elements that are strong, then they can really hook into that part. And so you have something for both. Yeah, and the kind of funny thing is that most of my fans are not even romance readers. They're actually engineers. So <laughs> uh, the heavy percentage of my fans are engineers. Uh, so it's like I never would have thought of that. Uh, that that's what It is what it is. You're going to take your fans where you can get them. Right, exactly. And if you write something, there's a fan base out there for it. Yeah, just have to find it. And that's why I was saying about romance with you, um, is that you, you probably um, I, I can hear some of your other uh, things that you write, which is a little bit of history. So you've got a little bit of history with that romance. Yes. So that's probably one reason why you could do well enough in it. You're going to have some romance in your in your sci-fi story, even if even if it's heavy science fiction. Yes, and that was when I did the first one. There's just a little teeny bit of romance. I mean, not much at all, just a little bit. I mean, that one's more of a harder sci-fi story. And actually, somebody who read it, a friend, a co-worker of mine, she read it. She goes, well, I like the story, but there was not enough, there weren't enough women in the story. It's like, yeah, you're right, there wasn't. <laughs> there, it was it was a very male-dominated story. And so since then, I have sent, I have corrected that, and I always make sure now to have strong male and female characters in the story for both you know men and women to enjoy. So I've, I learned my lesson after the first one. Uh, have you ever been interested in writing steampunk? Nope. No, nothing there really grabs me. I mean, it's it, it's funny because as a writer, I, I'm kind of doing it wrong as a writer in that you know what, what, it, what when you write a story, you're supposed to stay within your genre because then then you build your fan base and you build your your audience, and then when your next book comes out, oh, what do you what do you have next? I want to read it because I like what you write. Well, I, I'm kind of spreading myself out. Like I said, I'm you know sci-fi, mm-hmm. political thriller, historical, and then this romance one is sort of a one-time deal but you know that so i'm not really concentrating in one area like i'm supposed to as a writer but i have so many interests as a person i like a lot of different things that i want i want my stories to be interesting to me too and if i stay in one genre which i'm supposed to as a writer then then i you know it sort of loses its luster a little bit for me and so it's like i want to tell a different kind of a story i don't want to just focus just on one thing so I, I, I take my hats off to, to writers who can just keep writing at you know the same genre and you know different kinds of stories of course, but it's just the the same area and I, it's like I don't know if I could do that as a writer it would it'd be a little tough for me. So what what's your uh, it says you what are you doing your day job? Uh, I work at a high school 
Um, I'm not a teacher. I thought about being one a long time ago, but thought, no, that's not for me. So I, I do administration. I'm, I, you know, I work on the computer and keep records and things. Uh, my wife is the teacher. We work at the same school, and she was actually a chef in her, you know, in her profession a long time ago. And so now she's a cooking teacher in high school, which is great because the kids need it. Um, and so um, that's what I do. So what re- led you to write your first book then? Um, well, the the ironic thing was when I was growing up, I was not a reader. I was not a lover of books as most writers are. Um, I was a I was a TV movie guy growing up because I'm I'm a uh-huh. visual learner. That's just how I learn things. You know, show me how to do it and I'll know it. Uh, don't tell me how to do something. Show me how to do something. And so I see things. I'm just a visual thinker. And so I was drawn to TV and movies that my earliest memories. And so reading was kind of a boring thing for me. And when I was just out of high school many years ago, I was reading one of the few books that I did read. And it just suddenly occurred to me, like, wow, I could do this. I can write. I can I can put a story together. And so that's when I tried. When I that was the first in, incarnation of When the Sky Fell. And it was it was pretty awful. It was horribly written, and it's a lot harder than it seems. And so it took me many many years. I I, I really did myself a disservice not reading when I was growing up, because you learn how to write when you read, and you see what other mm-hmm. writers do and their style and their approach to to writing. And so I, I I had a lot of learning to do, and that's why it took me almost 30 years to get my novel published. Well, you know, that's not unusual. Uh, I'm finding that a whole lot more writers nowadays uh, started late, late bloomers, as I would. Uh, I, I myself was a late, a late bloomer, even though I uh, got started back when I was in ninth grade. You you, you leaved out uh, the fiction writing, and uh, I always had some other part of writing in my work. So uh, suddenly, late bloomers, I so to speak, we have a lot of them. Um, in fact, I think uh, a good 80% of writers right now are late bloomers. Well, I, I can't think of a better time for a writer to start writing than now because there are so many options available to writers today that there weren't there, say, 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, like Which I said, is you, good and bad. <laughs> well, yeah, because you, you have a lot more writers out there and there's a lot more bad writing out there. Yeah. It's it's hard to write something well. It's easy to write something badly. That's easy, and and you know there is there is a benefit to the process of rejection. I know for me personally, I have tremendously benefited from those years of of no's mm-hmm. because it forced me to go back to my work and say, okay, what is lacking? What do I need to do to fix this to make this attractive to a publisher? And you and you and you hone your skills and you try harder and harder and harder and almost it almost becomes like a quest of. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat these guys and make them publish this thing, and uh, you know, because they keep saying no, no, no all the time, right. and and so when you go through that process of pain and suffering and rejection, if you have the resilience, like you mentioned earlier, then you get better. For a mm-hmm. lot of people, that's they can't handle that, and so rather than face that that difficult time, they just go straight to self-publishing. And they don't have the skills that they really do need to be a really strong writer because for them, no is, well, it's not my fault. It's their fault they're not accepting it. And so I blame them, and so I'm going to get it out there. And they publish it, and it's just not that good. It's just not ready yet. 
And so there's the good and the bad. But then on the other hand, there are many, many amazing writers who just for whatever reason can't get that first break. And then they self-publish and they are discovered. You know, right. they, they have tremendous sales. The publishers take notice of them, and they, they become very successful writers. And they just it just took that other route to get to their success. And so, but most of the time, it's they're not published for a reason. I'm finding though that those who are who wind up making you know really good sales, it's not so much that they wrote a really great book or books, and it's that that a they're persistent and. And B, they have a plan to start with. That's true. They're great marketers. They're great promoters. <clears throat> they have a lot of people that they know. They have connections, and they work things to their to their advantage, and they get their name out there. A lot of it is promotion, you know. And that's that's the other part of writing. That's the hard part. Is people think, oh, I'm going to write my novel. It's going to get published, and then the publisher is going to promote me and set up things for me and get yeah. my name out there. And that's just not how it is. Maybe once wow. upon a time it used to be that way, but today it's like as soon as you get it published, they look at you. It's like, okay, Mr. Author, go promote your book, go make sales. We're we're hoping you do well, and they do exactly. nothing for you. And most publishers do very next to nothing to promote your story. I agree. I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had to burst people's bubble and says, you know what, you're not going to be a castle. Yeah, you're, that's not the way life works. You're not going to be uh, this this big publisher or, or big uh, author who uh, gets these hardcover sales and and everybody knows who he is. You mm -hmm. know, this is not a television show. And actually, <laughs> when when you send in your proposal, what they want included, it didn't used to be this way, but it is now, is they want a marketing plan built into your proposal. Yes, they do. Because they want to know that you are serious about publishing your work and that you already know ahead of time that it's your responsibility to get get your name out there. And if you don't put it in your proposal, generally they won't look at you because you're thinking, oh, we don't want to train this person to let them know that they have to sell their books now. Right. And if you can't follow a simple thing like specs uh, on their website, they, they always tell you exactly how they want it. Yep. If you can't yep. follow that direction, you're automatically not even going to get in front of anyone. They will automatically discard you. Yep. You're yeah, not doing yourself any service at all. Well, they figure you're a difficult person to deal with, and they just don't want to deal with you, you know. Right. Wanna... I mean, you, you know, since I started publishing others, I said I you not believe the stuff that people give me. I mean, no chapter breaks, just all one long, uh, uh, six pages of one paragraph. I go, oh, geez, people, you know. <laughs> you want well, to make what... it any more difficult on me? That you know, come on. Well, when when Travis first sent me his book, he had never been published before, and so he sent me the manuscript. And it was it was like 320, 330 pages, and it had six chapters. And I said, uh, that's not going to work, uh, Travis. Nobody wants to read a 50-page chapter. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. It's, well, it's, it's one story, and he kind of gave me the reasons why I did it. I said, no, 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 you need to you need a lot more chapters. And so he very begrudgingly put in the chapters, and, you know, so that was just a little way to say, it doesn't, yeah, that's a great idea, but it's not going to work. Right. Especially nowadays with digital, because I find that smaller chapters uh, do very, a lot better digitally. Yes. yes. Uh, Ebook, uh, if you do smaller chapters, obviously it's, it's easier for people to get through because they can read it on the ferry or you know uh, on the bus on the way to work. Um, then turn around and read the next chapter on the way home. 
Yeah, I so. try to keep my chapters at like seven or eight pages. Ten, I'll go ten, but I try to keep my chapters short. Yeah, see, and it helps pull the reader through your story. These are all tricks that that people learn after years of going to conferences or or listening to others. And really that's what it takes, is learning from those who are already there. Yeah, and that's why I always recommend to people when they're first starting out, go to a writer's conference. Um, don't go to make a sale. Go you know, to try to sell a book. I mean, if they have that, then sure, try. You have nothing to lose. But really go to learn from the writers who've been writing for years, and they, they'll tell you the truth. <clears throat> they'll tell you what the real deal is. Not they won't, they won't prop it up for you and, oh, you'll be great and you'll be public. No, no. This is what you got to do to get published. This is what I had to do. This is what you need to do. And that's what you need to hear as an author, the truth. Yeah, exactly. Because then you know what you're getting into right from the beginning. Because I've seen many writers who are just very discouraged at conferences because they've written their story. Oh, it's so wonderful. And it's just, oh, I just love my characters. And they think the the agent or the editor is going to think the same way. And for them, it's business. It's like, can I sell this story? Exactly. And they don't see the hazy glow around the story that the writer does, and they get discouraged because it's like, wow, they just treat me like it's a commodity. And it's like, yeah, it is. It yeah. is a commodity. <laughs> this is a business, people. And once yeah. you actually start writing and actually start selling your books, you have to absolutely consider it as a business. If you don't, then you should not be doing it. Yes. Um, and that's just the unfortunate reality um, of writing. It's it, you, You're a small business, basically. Exactly. Um, so is there a message that you would want your readers to get from the stories that you write? Oh, that's kind of hard to answer that because all the stories are so different. Uh, is there a common message? Um, hmm. Well, I mean, it's, it's, sort of, it's sort of built into the story itself. It's like you, ha- you know, you have a character who goes through some kind of a huge setback. I mean, all fiction is based on setbacks and crisis. And you know, either the crisis is going to overwhelm them and destroy them, or they have to rise above it to be victorious in the end to to finally get the resolution that they seek. And so, you know, when I do the proposals, one of the things I talk about is, you know, sort of like, you know, who are the heroes of life? Well, the hero is somebody who overcomes obstacles and is triumphant at the end. It could be in big ways. It could be in little ways. But that, that in my mind, is sort of a definition of a hero is overcoming the obstacles to, to, to see it through. And, you know, in, in our world, unfortunately, there aren't a lot of heroes. You know, there are a lot of people who disappoint us and, and, mm-hmm. and don't have the, the resolve to, to see things through or, or have integrity. Um, and so my characters, I always try to put a lot of integrity in my characters of even though it's going to cost them something to do the right thing, they still do the right thing no matter what. And so I strive for that in my stories, thinking uh, too bad it can't be like that in the real world. You know, so, yeah. you know, integrity is sadly lacking in, in our in our lives these days. And so I always try to ha- have my characters, you know, really stand for what's right and do what's right, even though there's a price to pay oftentimes. Awesome. Well, we're on the last uh, minute here. So the last question I always ask everyone is, you have successfully slain the dragon. How will you celebrate? Ask me one more time. I didn't quite understand the question. You have successfully slain the dragon. How will you celebrate? Now, is this the literal dragon that I've slain? (laughs) It's up to you. That's you. That's, if I've slain the dragon, it's your style. This style, uh, if I ask this question, it really does bring on the style of the person. 
Well, for, I'll take it as real and metaphor. And when you have slain the dragon, you have slain the beast that has been trying to kill you. And for me, is if, if, if I have slain the dragon, and I would celebrate with my friends and my family and those that are most important to me, and we would all celebrate together and say that the beast has been killed and now we can live in, in, in freedom and peace and we don't have to worry about this thing trying to destroy us anymore. And so for me, it's always about others. And just celebrate together, and that we are—we are all. If I'm victorious, victorious, they're victorious too. Awesome. So everyone, you can find Mike Lynch books on. Uh, all of them are attached to his webpage. Thanks, Mike, for coming on, and uh, I really enjoyed the talk. I glad I, I I had a great time too. I really enjoyed myself, and again, thank you for bringing me on and just a chance to share some stories. Thank you, Mike, and this uh, will be. Uh, I will be giving you the link once it turns over to, uh, it, it'll get uh, what we call a archived file, and I will send you that to you. Great. I look forward to that. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. This is K-Wad Radio, and this is Patty Holstrom signing off. You guys have a great weekend.